Hello, and welcome to Deep Impact, a proud member of the Doof Network, where we dive deep into Arbo's most besieged work five years on. Coming up next is Elliot Diebold. And that was Ruben Morehouse. And we are back to talk about uh, Duress. I almost called it Besieged. Duress 12.x, <laughs> an interlude. And that interlude is of our good uh, fiancé, Alastair. Um, and we start back in time, as all history's interludes start, <laughs> with Alastair uh, as a younger boy in high school, looking at uh, the exam placed in front of him and preparing to skip it. <laughs> Just the second I saw this was an Alistair interlude i was like oh, that's it, it's it's perfect like i should have seen it coming um it, maybe it's just like a 2020 hindsight thing but um alistair has just been set up to be you know a, a big cog in the machine over the next arc at least yeah. and uh, like even if you didn't suspect he was part of the R- rose Amon, you know wheel breaking uh f- fantasy tour um it there's still so much to dive into just on the Bahames in general. It's like, of course, a Baham interlude focusing on Alistair is, is so perfect here. Yeah. Um, I, can't, I can't believe I didn't see it coming. <laughs> Me neither. I thought it was a pretty obvious pick, but it's fine. More of a surprise for you. Um, <laughs> yeah, it does feel like the Bahames have always needed more interludes. Ever since we got Eamon's interlude and we kind of were like, okay, there's more stuff going on here. We just haven't had the chance to properly explore it. No, and we've gotten so many mixed signals from Laird since then about like is yep. he is he part of this? Is he not part of this? Yep. And like you know, is it grey? And it turns out the answer is uh, kinda. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, his vibe in this chapter gives that he gives off is like, yeah, I'm kind of part of this, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. No. It's it's an awesome uh, interlude choice. Um. And right immediately from the start of this interlude, the character trait that immediately strikes you about uh, about Alistair is how smug and cocksure he is, right? Like, he's such a mm-hmm. bang. Yeah, he just comes across as so arrogant uh, very early on. Yeah, which is the main thing you need to be the leader of the, the Bahame house. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, he looks down on almost everyone and everything through his narration. Yeah. Um, it I I actually really like this as well because it really makes it hit home when we meet Rose Senior mm. later in the chapter because he's just like sort of straight up terrified and belittled by her presence. Yeah, you true. You really get a sense of how fantastically powerful she is. Yeah, you have to be pretty strong to stop a Baham from being a smartass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it reminds me of that one time we saw the cracks in the lead, which was when Blake had him. Yeah, you know, in all the circles with Pose in the middle of the circles. And mm. that's sort of the one time Led just was straight up like, I can't, can't do this. With this. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, which means, of course, Blake and Rose have hit that same point of being that scary, I guess. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. So Alistair uh, takes out his pocket watch and, and kind of uses it to skip through the test. Basically skipping through this entire class, actually, um, and simultaneously banking away some time. Yeah, and and it, it's kind of curious when it first happens because, like for me, it was a bit of a, a like a, a bait and switch. Like I was tricked because I assumed he was like going to use it to slow time or cheat on the test, and like oh, he's going to waste power because Ainsley makes out it's so bad, and then yep. it turns out he's he's skipping, but he still filled out the test. So then you're sort of like, okay, so why is this bad? Because that seems amazing. Yeah, I, I I kind of have the same reaction of of you kind of figure it out, and you're like. Well, Ainsley, why are you 
Mm. Why do you feel like this is so bad? And then, of course, it's because she has more genuine adult concerns than the kind of childish <laughs> concerns of, well, he's cheating on his test. It's actually a bit yeah. more like something really dodgy is going on here and I need to kind of figure out why. Yeah, because, I mean, we're 12 arcs into Pact. We all know that it's not just, like, a good thing. We we know that he's not going to get that for free in this world. Yeah. So you, you're sort of left trying to piece together what is bad about it because on the surface it's like, geez, I, I'd do it. Yeah. Um, I know this is kind of a stupid reaction to have, but my first reaction was, man, this is so reckless. <laughs> and like, yeah, duh, you know, but it's like, it, it feels like it's such a, I don't know, like, it seems like he almost doesn't even, he, so he knows he's filled out, filled, filled out the test, but he doesn't really remember it. And so it feels like he's not actually gaining the knowledge. It feels like a very reckless way to treat your education, Alistair. So <laughs> pick up your yeah. notes. Well, I mean, it's basically like click rules, like from the the movie Click. Um, mm. Is that is that a dumb? Maybe no. I mean, I haven't seen it, it so maybe it's okay. a perfect analogy. I don't know. <laughs> okay, never mind. Um, but I, I love this metaphor that's sort of set up because I think like we've known that the Bahames donate time for a little while now. Yeah. But we this is our first understanding of what that like explicitly means. Yeah. Uh, and. What I do like is it's established here that the kids have to give up less than the adults. So it's like, you know, obviously this whole thing is just this metaphor for giving up some of your life for the family and and the the circle. Mm. Uh, And and I do like the nice little touch that's like, okay, the kids have to give up some of their childhood, but but not as much. You know, the Bahamas aren't complete monsters. Uh, They do understand, you know, the kids need to have a childhood of some sort. I mean, maybe it's just the practical, like, oh, they need to be educated or something. But I'd like to think part of it is that they understand that, um, you know, childhood is important. So, you know, not completely the worst. Yeah. Well, uh, this is one of the strongest recurring beats of characterization for the Bahames, right? And I think to a lesser extent, the Duchamps, but still the Duchamps, is that they're They've kind of trapped themselves in this system because of their care for their families, right? Mm-hmm. They they absolutely love and want to protect their family, and the, the best way they know how to do that is by perpetuating this familial system, um, which yeah. is uh, short term gains, long term pains. Um, but yeah, it, it is it is a nice like it fits very well that this is kind of the part of the how the system works when you're a child. Yeah, uh, it's just it's a bit nice. Yeah. Um, so I, it just occurred to me something during this interlude, uh, which is Alistair's name is literally spelled A-lister, like a, like he's an A-lister, like he's some kind of celebrity. And that probably explains why he's so arrogant. It's probably like nominative determinism. I, I, I hate you so much. I mm. can't unsee that. Wait, mm. the, the whole rest of my notes from this point on, I was thinking A-lister in my head as I typed <laughs> Alistair. And I hate you for it. Yeah. No. Um, well, blame Wildbo. It's his yeah, stupid pun. I'm assuming if that, if, if that was on purpose, Wildbo, then then you're 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 on my enemy list too. Um, um, yeah. So so a lister uh, talks to his in air quotes friend. I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> um, basically, to try and avoid having to be confronted by Ainsley, um, and it doesn't work. Uh, but this is fun because he literally. <laughs> <laughs> he stalls his, for time. Yeah, and his friend is introduced. He just says "dick," and uh, I don't know your reaction, but my reaction <laughs> when I was reading this is what? "what," and then it becomes immediately obvious after two sentences or so that he's referring to his friend. Um, yeah, 
it's his friend's name is Dick. He's not just referring to his friend as a dick. But I thought it was just a great way of introducing the way that he sees his friend. <laughs> because, I, like, it is kind of on that level, right? No, I, I completely agree. I, I love that interpretation. That That's just... Yeah, that's exactly how he thinks of him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I also like the bit where they, they have a brief chat and it's sort of like, you know, uh, they talk about how the test went and Alistair's like, yep, yeah, I think it went pretty well. Uh, you know, basically sort of saying, I think I kind of nailed it. And mm. uh, Dick, Dick is like, well, yeah, but you always say that and you've been wrong. And it's just, you know, another little beat of uh, how of Alistair's confidence. Like he's he has no idea in any of these tests. Presumably he's been skipping all these tests. He has absolutely no idea how he went. But his default assumption is that he he probably nailed it. Yeah. Regardless of the reality. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He just assumes like, well, I don't remember it, but it was probably fine because I'm a genius. And, yeah, uh, exactly. And and to his credit, that that does seem to be the case more often than not. So Yeah. Yeah, I, I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's nothing worse than someone so smug than when they're actually justified. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so I want to read out this paragraph. I basically love the whole interaction between Alistair and Dick, but I'm just going to read out a specific portion of it. Um, Alistair's smile was cold and humorless. It clearly made Dick uncomfortable. What do you think? I don't know, Dick said. We were just joking around. So did you have a guess? Nah, Dick lied, shrugging. Um, so I love this interaction because it so immediately sets up how above it all Alistair feels like he clearly doesn't care about his non-practitioner relationships he only barely cares about his actual practitioner relationships and he (laughs) when Dick says nah even in Alistair's internal monologue he refers to it as Dick lied you know like Mm. it as if he's omniscient it's it's creepy and it's detached and it's uh smug and it's very behame yeah, I mean, I I came away from this with this sort of feeling that I don't want to use the term sociopath. I th- I feel like that's overused. I think the book has even called that to our attention. But he does feel like someone who doesn't have friends. He has tools. Yeah. Um. Like he and I think Dick. Uh. You know, he surrounded himself with people who I think he feels like he can predict even without his implement. Yeah. Uh, like he he just likes to be in control. Uh. Basically, and uh, I think I think he's sort of. He he's picked friends that he can see himself being above and controlling to some extent. Yeah. Um. And I think like you know, I'm jumping in a bit early, but obviously, uh, something that comes up a fair few times in this chapter is is him and Ainsley's sort of relationship, mm. and uh, you know, he's forced to forgive her later, and he's sort of logicking out as to why he should is, you know, well, I guess she has had my back in the past, but. <laughs> You know, all of them have kind of because they're all family, and that's just what. Wait, well, that's my expectation of family. Yeah. She's just had it more because she's closer to my age, so she's had more opportunities. Like, there's there's no sense of affection. It's just kind of like, <laughs> like yes, she has been a useful tool, and yeah, and may continue to do so. <laughs> it's a fun beat, isn't it? Because he has to talk himself into forgiving her, and he genuinely, you know, does. But the way he does that is by kind of logically convincing himself that she's a useful minion, and that's yeah. the reason he should forgive her. Yeah, pretty much. Like, you know, he's going to make a great husband. Yeah. Um, So Ainsley starts asking what Alistair's up to, and eventually she kind of needles it out of him that he is donating much, much more time than he needs to, uh, but he refuses to say why. Yeah, and again, it's one of those things where you're like, doesn't that, that sounds good. Why is that not good? Yeah. Um, I think that's sort of what really drives this, this first chunk of the chapter is you being like, 
I don't understand why these things are bad, but I believe everyone when they say that they are. Um, yeah. Uh, but especially again, to come back to Ainsley versus Alistair, like Ainsley's sort of framed by Alistair as this person who kind of has potential, but just is following the rules and she's just, you know, a, a pedestrian. Um, mm. You know, she, she does what her parents tell her and they're ruining her lives. Whereas, you know, he's, he's this great person that sort of has seized control and he figures out the system and, bends it to his whim kind of like you know he's one of those people who's like oh well, the rules don't apply to me because i'm better than them um yeah. and I, I hate those people yeah. uh but you know like, and I, I think it's important that this is ainsley like you know we've already touched on where this ends up but this is another behame like he even has this superiority complex within his family uh and, and i think that just really tells how elevated he he thinks he is that even amongst all the other smug behames he's the smuggest he's the behemoth yeah (laughs) yeah yeah um i his his relationship with ainsley is interesting because she is she is like seems to be characterized at least so far and we haven't dove that deep into her character but she seems to be the kind of behame who is and this is kind of a bit of a horrible thing to say but a bit of the cattle right she's there to feed into the system and she's never really going to rock the boat she's never going to expend that much energy she's there to be you know one of the one of the peons i think she might have actually been the one blake told she was cattle and she got she was like are you calling me a cow (laughs) and um and and blake's like well yeah kind of yeah um yeah so like i think i think that holds yeah yeah um I, i think it's important to point out that alistair seems to share that view yeah yeah i mean he's he i mean he at least to his credit though he doesn't uh, you know, and he talks about this with Led. It's not that he's thinking, "Oh, I, I des, I, you know, I deserve all the power." It's like he just thinks he's the best one to be in charge of it. It's, it's yeah. exactly what what we've talked about in the Bahames and their goals in this whole war is they're kind of like, uh, you know, we don't really have any super concrete plans or anything. We just know that we're the best people to do it. Yeah, and that's Alistair Singh here. He doesn't, he doesn't like think you know she's a complete waste or anything. He just trusts himself to manage her power better than her yeah and, uh, and manage her power for her and for the other behaviors yeah yeah exactly um, um it, it's funny that this this like this guy has become part of the plan to break the wheel because he just seems like everything that's wrong with the system in a way yeah. like this sort of greedy power hungriness uh that, that sort of a lot of practitioners can show yeah i mean he thinks he seems like he he likes the system existing not for him because he doesn't really abide by it but for other people right the system is there to you know help him manage the other people without having to put in so much effort to it well yeah and he and he you know is completely okay with abusing the system to empower himself which is like everything that's wrong with practitioners right now is (laughs) how selfish and and self-serving they are yeah um so there's this one line where Ainsley, uh, where, where Alistair notices that Ainsley's holding her own pocket watch and uh, he thinks hers had a proper chain and wasn't quite as beat up, which is interesting because it, 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 it sets up or it seemed to set up to me at least that Alistair wasn't as like in the family as Ainsley is. Um, mm-hmm. Ainsley f- is the, the proper behame and Alistair is a bit of the outside horse. Yeah, no, I I totally got that because he he describes his own pocket watch a bit earlier in this and talks about how it's all dented and broken, uh, and and then it's not long after that that we get this. So your your mind immediately sort of leaps to comparing 
yeah. those two. And, and I agree, it immediately sets up this idea of there's there being a natural hierarchy that Alistair explains later, um, and that Ainsley's higher up on it. Um, I also think, as a metaphor, it's kind of doing a second thing, because um, Alistair also mentions about his that some of the dents and broken bits are his fault. So I like this mm. as an idea of, you know, he he sees himself as someone who, who you know, gets this broken thing and, and you know, kind of wears it down even further, but to use it, you know, he's his is getting a bit more broken up because he's using it so much more. And he, you know, he, it's it's not just that he's getting worse tools, but he's making more with them. And, and you know, that's why he's so much more special. Maybe even you could extend this just to apply to his minions, right? Um, and I'm just going to call them that. Uh, <laughs> the fact that he doesn't have a high regard for the welfare of his tools. I mean, it's a little, uh, I think, shallow to make that comparison because the pocket watch is, as far as we know, an inanimate object. It could have uh, yeah. some greater sentience, but... Um, no, you're right. I like that. I like that better. Yeah. Uh, we, we, we'll we see, I suppose, whether he treats uh, the other behames when he's in charge as badly as he treats his other tools that, to be used. Yeah, you're right. But if a tool gets a bit injured, but it's serving its purpose, he's sort of okay with that, I think. It's, yeah. It was, it was a bit of an implication there, and I, yeah. I like the thought that that might extend to the rest of them. Yeah. Um, so we jump forward in time, and now Laird is also in the conversation. She's yeah, He's been called in by Ainsley. Um, and, uh, Laird is there basically trying to understand what he's doing. I love, I love this cut, like in the text, the way it's sort of Ainsley's just going, why? And then we get one of those section breaks that immediately jumps to, uh, Laird being like, why? (laughs) And, uh, it's, it's like such a great way to just instantly transition into this new scene and just bring Laird into the conversation we were already having. Like it's such a nice clean cut to move everything forward but also not break the momentum of what we're doing at all yeah yeah no it's nice isn't it um the momentum really flows and laird kind of immediately takes over this conversation right um mm. but but he he's he's actually more endearing here than he ever was when we were battling him <laughs> and that makes sense back because, when he was alive yeah back when he was alive and during that time he was obviously on the opposite side to our point of view character um but he he like is a good leader of the community here. <laughs> like, yeah, he actually yeah. does well. Uh, no, exactly. And I think, like, we always knew there must have been some quality here, otherwise he wouldn't have been able to be the police chief and all that. Yeah. Um, but, like, yeah, he, you know, there's the bit where we've already touched on where he forces Alistair to, like, try and forgive Ains and stuff, and it's all like, yeah, I was all just like, mm, go, Laird, you're actually, you're killing it. Good job. Yeah, and it's clear that everybody there, including Alistair, respects him a lot right yeah um yeah so again alistair's a real smart ass he drops this dope line about i thought you said school was important it's like 10 <laughs> out of 10 banter it's awesome yeah it's a great little early glimpse into how competent he is because obviously we know he thinks he's competent at this point but he kind of i mean let's face it he kind of wins this little mini argument with laird and and they just sort of move on to a different topic so you know, being able to match words with Laird, uh, Laird was always pretty good with the old words, so I think it's, yeah. it's a good sign for Alistair. Yeah, um, Alistair eventually reveals that, yes, he's putting in more time, uh, but it's not for selfish or, you know, uh, negative reasons. He is helping the family um, and also helping his position within the family. Yeah, and we've already sort of touched on this, um, like this idea that he thinks it's just because he's the best person to lead the family. Yeah. Um, that That's how it helps the family, because putting him in charge is the best thing to do. Uh, 
but I, I I quickly want to interject here and say so so much of this conversation is built around the timing of things, like time based references. Um, <laughs> a lot of them are actually kind of subtle. It's not until you're looking for it, you realize how full this entire chapter is of little time references. It's very fun. Yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, to to come back to the actual conversation, I think the interesting idea here is that uh, Alistair's crux of his argument is I want to be a full time chronomancer, and it was only in, when he said that that I sort of realized we've never seen that before yeah um and it's presumably because of this whole thing you have to donate your time uh to to be a chronomancer so presumably you you sort of need a day job because you need somewhere to pull time from yes you need to be living a life that is worth something because otherwise your time isn't worth anything right yeah you know what they say time is money elliot um, and etc (laughs) etc i mean that's that's the metaphor of the behames in a nutshell um yeah and and so obviously like yeah you, you know you and you can't give up your chronomancy time i don't even know if that would work mm-hmm. uh so yeah like you can't be a full-time chronomancer because you wouldn't have any valuable time to give unless of course you had a family of uh time cows uh yeah. who you could milk <laughs> yeah you could drink their delicious time milk um <laughs> yeah yeah i i'm what full-time practitioners do we have i mean the duchamps aren't the behames aren't Johannes is, um, and the Thorburns seem to be as well. Um, the, oh, no, actually, I think Rose Senior worked as a lawyer, although I don't know what shape or form that took, because I can't imagine her going into an office or anything. So, yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe she was even a practitionery lawyer or something. Or she just said she was a lawyer, but she was actually just a practitioner. Yeah, well, she would have had to have some truth behind it. Um, oh, yeah, I, I'm, not, I'm not fully sure, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, we definitely saw a lot of full-timers uh, over in Toronto. Yeah. Um, I, I think maybe a couple of the Duchamps are, are sort of full-time uh, in, in the world. Um, like, I, I, Have we seen anything that would indicate Sandra isn't? I actually think she might well, be. we haven't, but I, 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 we also haven't seen anything to indicate that she is, right? Like, No, that's fair. Like, we have these beats of the younger Duchamps doing things like going to soccer training or ballet practice or, you know, whatever it is. And that feels to me like the Duchamps are at least somewhat living their suburban life while while Sandra is also running the family, you know? Uh, yeah, but I, I, I don't know. I think going to school's different because, you know, they're not awoken or, you know, you've got you to sort of get educated. But it's like, yeah. you know, and a full-time practitioner can still, like, you know, go to the gym and have hobbies and stuff, like, you know, just like a full-time worker. Sure. Like, I'm not talking about it's your entire life. I just sort of yeah. mean, you know, it's the main thing and and i wouldn't be surprised to learn a, a lot of the duchamps sort of fit that bill mm. yeah maybe maybe um yeah so basically alistair talks about this uh idea that he's had that as he puts in a lot of time uh it, it basically leaves a bit of a vacuum in the school that means that he is drawing power from everyone else uh, including the behames but also you know the thorburns um the the duchamps whoever um meaning that he feels that he is Taking their power to an extent, and while he can repay the the power that he steals from Bahames, he won't repay the power that he steals from their enemies, which uh, makes sense. Um, and it's it's possible, right? Like Laird seems to be like, mm, yeah, could be. Like he doesn't seem to come down on it one way or the other. Um, he doesn't explicitly confirm it, but the fact that he doesn't come to explicitly deconfirm it seems to suggest that Alistair's probably right. Yeah. Um. Yeah, um, it's it's an interesting idea because because I, I think the other implication he sort of puts into it is that uh, by by doing this he sort of you know he exerts 
a bit of control over them. He ta- he takes something from them. Yeah. And if he if he's doing that on a small scale, lots of times there's this intrinsic power he would have over them, which sort of makes sense from the way we know spirits operate. You know, if he they'll they'll start to understand that there's a, this relationship where Alistair takes things from them. Um, and so that that sort of that pattern is maybe being reinforced uh, on on some small scale and might tip the scales in the future. Yeah. Um. I, I mean, I also like it as this idea. You know, it's basically uh, Alistair putting out his own time distortion radiation. Uh, basically, uh, it's another form of radiation in this story. Uh, just well hidden. Uh, so I like that. Um, it, it fits into the world. So I like. I, I'm I'm leaning towards it being correct. Yeah. Yeah. I I think it. The fact that Laird doesn't deny it means that it's probably true. Um, and it also, I, I also quite like the idea that it, uh, as he's building up connections to these other people, I feel like it will make his ability to predict them a lot stronger as well, mm. uh, which obviously becomes important as he has his uh, implement, yes. as he becomes more and more reliant on being able to predict these people, right? Yeah, I mean, because that's sort of become his whole shtick. Yeah. Um. So, so something we haven't touched on till now, obviously, is uh, like we're setting Alistair up as such a great antagonist for Blake. Like, I think he's going to be around for at least an arc, like a, as a heavy sort of influence, because he just seems like this perfect an- antagonist to Blake. They have so much in common, but yet so much that's sort of different about each other. Mm. Um, like something that immediately jumped out to me reading all this was that sort of same natural talent for understanding the systems of this world like that's something that's really defined blake and we see alistair yeah. kind of do the same thing yeah um a bit of a harsher one on blake but alistair's obviously this kind of open and unabashed uh like manipulator and user of people uh that's something blake has struggled with on on his end of things <laughs> yeah. uh sort of un un or well, accidentally dragging people and manipulating them um yeah. so yeah and just you know, Alistair's so focused on... Well, he's kind of reckless, but in such a different way to Blake. Uh, Blake just forgets about the future, whereas Alistair kind of gambles on the future. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just I think these two are going to sort of uh, both in text and symbolically play off each other so well. I'm actually really excited to see what I actually think might be a conflict more more between these two than Rose and Blake uh, for, mm. the, for the next arc. Assuming we can get enough of Blake back for this to matter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I, I think you're right. I think there are a lot of ways that they'll play off of each other, whether that's as traditional antagonists or whether it's as kind of ending up sort of on the same team through this engagement. <laughs> um, well, I mean, that's what's great about so many of these sorts of a- antagonist roles like this is when, when you build a great antagonist who plays off or everything that the protagonist stands for um, it's so easy for them to become aligned in other situations. Uh, yeah. That's always the most fun. So you're right, that would be incredibly fun. Yeah. Um, so basically, Laird approves enough of what Alistair is saying, his arrogance and his lust for power. <laughs> He's a good little behame. And so Laird uh, basically says, you're ready, it's time to step up your training. Um, yeah, he's been being groomed this whole time as a potential next leader of the behame family. Yeah. And and, and so again, um. Like something that's come up in the Discord, and we ha- we haven't talked about it on here, but Pact is kind of undermining all of the tropes of like your classic young adult, like uh, you know, finding out magic is real, urban fantasy stuff. Yeah, like like you know, Harry Potter is obviously the the sort of go to example. Yep. Um, like I think one of my predictions early in the story was like you know, 
oh, arc two is going to be a domain and three will be an implement and four will be a familiar. So it's sort of an arc for each one of those. Yeah. Because I was, I was still thinking that headspace of he's in the world of wizardry and he's going to level up as he goes. Yeah, he's got to go to Diagon Alley and get himself a familiar, etc. Yeah. And of course, you know, I, I got I got it partially right. He did get a familiar a couple of arcs in, but uh, now he's not even a human. So, <laughs> like, you know... <laughs> I I love how it's sort of undermined all of the all of the sort of standards of of that genre, um. But you know, to compare Alistair and Blake again, Alistair's kind of had the opposite. He was already part of a wizarding family, and then he's sort of just so good at it. He's such a natural talent, and then later on, he's about to find out he's. Well, it's actually here. He finds out he's actually the chosen one. Like they're like, <laughs> yeah. oh, we've we've predicted that you were going to be the best at everything, um, and it it plays into those stereotypes. Like he, like he's kind of had the opposite path to Blake, where he's just sort of um, naturally fallen into more and more uh, power and and kind of goodwill. Yeah. Um. And and so it's going to be really interesting. Again, I just can't wait to see these two play off each other. Yeah, I I love that comparison because you're right. Um, Alistair does kind of play like the typical escapist fantasy magic kind of protagonist, mm. and it's awesome. <laughs> Blake is so not that. Um, <laughs> it's a very interesting way for them to 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 bounce off of each other. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so so through this, Laird kind of reveals to Alistair what the Bahams have been planning. Um, again, it still feels like there's unanswered questions here, but it feels like we're getting closer and closer, or at least we're reintroducing some of this stuff. Um, you know, Laird was untethered, uh, as has uh, Alistair been, and so they're kind of positioned to maybe do something when <laughs> when something uh, <laughs> happens, basically. Yeah, I think we, we sort of knew they were untethered, but what, what we really learn here is how much Rose was still involved with both of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you're right, there's still questions because there's this dynamic between Laird and Rose and Alistair where all of them kind of don't fully trust. It's like a classic practitioner alliance where yeah. they're not all 100% on the same page, but they're like, okay, we're kind of mostly there, so we're going to keep playing nice, but there's these undertones of, uh, you know, they may not fully have my back when it comes down to it. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. It's, uh, so it's, like, it's good because I feel like now we have enough that I – don't have to worry about it as much and can continue enjoying the story as is and, ho- and and wait for the remaining, you know, pieces to be filled in. Yeah. Um, so uh, the next step of Alistair's training is to get in access to the secret lessons. So Laird <laughs> takes him to see Rose Senior, who basically does a scared straight on him. <laughs> yes, uh, exactly. Um, I mean, I love how this opens with a description of her clothes because it immediately made me think of Young Rose. Who it's like every time we see her, it gets pointed out that she's in her granny's clothes. Yeah, uh, and, and Alistair and a, actually makes that same connection. Yeah, later. exactly. Uh, it's it I, like it's meant to be preppy us for the end there, but like I I just immediately jumped to it as I was like, yeah, because it uh, Alistair sort of you know uses it to say, oh, she's a bit like aristocratic, and immediately I was just like, fuck, that's Rose Junior as well, isn't it? Yeah. Um, it's yeah yeah and so i love that that connection between the two of them is reinforced in this chapter and kind of you know explained a bit by alistair as to what he thinks that means yeah um this whole scene is awesome right like it's this combination of backstory revealing for kind of alistair and a bit of laird's history world building about demons seeing some Mm. examples of these demons and it's all rolled into this one rose senior lesson like it's awesome and i have to say 
Apart from the first time we met her in the story back in 1.1, Rose Senior has consistently been one of my favourite characters. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, she's she's just fascinating, like I think is, is my word for it. Because um, I, I won't say I like her, I won't say I hate her, but I do find her incredibly fun um, to, yep. to read. Um, and I agree, this whole scene is is fantastic. As you said, it's got a bit of everything. It's, yeah, I just, I just loved it. Let's get into it. Yeah. Um, one more thing before we start talking about what happens in this scene, I, I just want to touch on, it really comes back to me here, like, this point of view is such a different writing style. We touched on all the time puns that are in here, <laughs> but also just the, like, all the subtle burns that Alistair makes inside his own mind, inside his, you know, he never says out loud, the kind of banter, the random puns, like, it's its own different writing style and it really feels distinct and smug. It's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I think that's always been the most impressive part of Wildbo's writing to me is how easily, like, that was what I really fell in love with with Worm. I think we probably talked about that in Meteor mm. MD like three years ago now was yeah. just how he easily steps into and out of so many viewpoints and they all feel so unique and authentic and, uh, like, you're right, he, like, he does it here again. Um, it, it he just nails this sort of different tone and you really feel like this is Alistair's head that we're in. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very distinct. Um, mm. So this secret lesson is uh, Rose summoning three demons uh, to, to basically freak the fuck out of Alistair <laughs> and, and basically explaining to him why he's here, which mostly boils down to learning how to defend himself against these demons. Yeah, well, I think presumably she did all seven. It's just we only needed to see the first three. Mm. Yeah. Um, so my personal favorite demon is Morax, which <laughs> is the second one, I think. Um, yeah. And it's because this one bit where uh, <laughs> Alistair feels Laird's hand on his shoulder and then hears Laird speak and it's kind of like, oh, that doesn't quite sit right and turns and sees that this hand is not Laird's hand. <laughs> and it's this awesome... <laughs> Beat. And I'm so happy that this episode is coming out, what, the day after Halloween. It's so on point. <laughs> yeah, you're you're right. It's it's fucking creepy. Um uh, I love everything about this. And I mean I I, I let's quickly talk about sort of what we see here because I, I find it fascinating. Um like you know, there was obviously we have the first choir, and the first choir is at least interesting, as yep. as poor Drig would say. because uh, they're they're fairly straightforward. They they cut and chop reality, yep. uh, and that's that's what this one does. Um, then, as you said, Morax is fun. Um, so, from the second choir, which is chaos, and I remember this is the one I originally thought Barbatorum was in back when back when we first started talking about the choirs. Yeah, um, and I think I can sort of see now why it's like a bit different because, um, and obviously, you know, there's going to be variants in how they act within the demons, but uh, this uh, Morax kind of comes in and sort of disables like the basic structure of things particularly like light but also sound and stuff and you know the the second day of creation like we talked about the second choir represented like destroying the basic concepts of like the order of the universe like yep. up and down and, and stuff and i think that's sort of what morax is interfering with on mm. some level uh it's, it's pretty cool um horrifying too <laughs> definitely um and then we get a little third choir demon uh who obviously now we know is is Barb's, uh, Cousin, brother, yep. sister, best friend. Yeah, you pro oh, probably. Um, but so I think it was called Zappen. Um, and Zappen just sort of blasts everything and everyone with this like assault on the senses. Yeah. Um, 
it's really interesting because you know the third choir is all about like a ruin it's all about like taking uh, I, I think it's about sort of taking things that have grown or been established and kind of undercutting them uh and, and so zappen i guess is sort of assaulting sort of the you know the sense of the structure of things like he he's, he's sort of in Alistair's mind is sort of cracking apart everything a little bit. I don't know. Um, I don't know if I'm explaining it very well. I'm, I'm struggling with words here, but I, I feel like this gives us some insight into how Barbatorum might work a bit. Like he's going to, if Barbatorum gets out, which I'm like 99% sure is happening. Um, Barbatorum's going to start to uh, like undermine all the structures that he can find, which will be yeah. interesting. Interesting yeah. for all our families and up and coming uh, lords potential uh, as we go ahead. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely interesting. Uh, I, I actually, once we start talking about the entirety of this arc, I have some interesting thoughts about loss of structure being one of the main themes of this arc already. Um, mm. So we can loop back around to that and see how we think it might tie into Barbatorum, who is of course Blake's dad. Um, <laughs> anyway, so. Uh, Rose and Eamon's plan seems to have been that they knew that the Jacob's Bell leadership struggle was going to happen relatively soon, and they were planning to capitalize on this to affect some kind of change. Um, hopefully a change for the better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I think even we've talked about how this seems like the best time to do something while the yeah. system is about to be established. So, um, I mean, it makes sense that they'd think of it. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know. I, I kind of... <sighs> I feel like we criticize Blake a fair amount for uh, calling something a plan when that plan is actually just kind of a loose jumble of ideas that he <laughs> blusters his way through until it, until it, in hindsight, seems like he knew what he was doing. Um, and that kind of feels like what Granny Rose is doing here, right? Like, it feels like they're, instead of making a concrete plan, they're just kind of like, okay, here's maybe an opportunity so let's just set up a bunch of tools and give them a push and hope that something goes right. It's not really a plan. I actually don't think that that's fair. Mm. Um, I think I think Granny Rose isn't in a position to do better. Sure, uh, like she, she's put thought into this. She's she's trying to be careful because I think she doesn't think she's equipped to be the one to bring about the change. Is sort of the impression she gives off here. Yeah, and I think there's sorts of reasons for that that we can go into. But um, I, I agree that all she's really trying to do is set up dominoes in in like the best places she sort of can, and kind of hope that um you know her her heir is going to knock them down as well as they can. Yeah. Um, but like I I don't know. I think she's put a lot of thought into doing that and how she's doing it and. I don't really understand what else she's meant to do. So I kind of yeah. think she's doing her best. Like Blake's Blake's shitness at making plans is because he runs in before he's fully f formed them. Whereas at least, you know, Rose Senior is just kind of saying, okay, I'm going to, my plan is to just have some dominoes to tip over. If anything, Blake is the embodiment of that plan. <laughs> yeah, true. He's the dominoes. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's fair. Maybe that's fair. Uh, it just feels not very tangible, you know, like when we had that interlude with Eamon and, and Rose, Coming out of that, I felt like, okay, there's some grand machination that's happening here. But it really actually feels like, more realistically, I suppose, what they're just trying to do is set up the conditions for someone else to be able to put together a plan. Yeah, and I mean, I, I guess I think that that's a pretty good first step. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I'm pretty happy with that. I don't think they're in a position to do any better. Uh, so, you know, it, it's, like, it's, like, uh, it's like Rose and, and Led sort of talk about here. They, they've got this spinning top. 
and they're basically just sort of setting things up so when it's when it's more what's the word when when it's more like likely no when it's more able to be influenced by a small nudge things are in the best position to nudge it and i think really that probably is the best play they're um, yeah. they're preparing the right time to strike yeah that makes sense um but anyway let's i, I want to get into what i consider the real meat of this chapter which is <laughs> uh all this juicy new law that we get um I mean, really, I think the big one for me is this idea that, that Rose thinks that all others come from demons yep. or, or they come from practitioners who she says come from others and therefore demons. Basically, everything can be traced back to demons. Yep. Um, it's a very diabolist way of viewing the universe. Uh, it's, it's pretty great. Um, I mean, I, I even love the little bit where she's like, the practice comes from demons. Uh, it's just so hilarious because, you know, we've talked about like the witch hunting trials and stuff. And, you know, back then it was always, oh, witchcraft is deals with the devil. <laughs> Turns out they might have been right, um, which is just like a hilarious little uh, bit that I kind of feel like I should have uh, should have joked about already. Sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just want to talk about this because it's, it's such a it's such a huge implication. Like, uh, I, I think Solomon, um, we know, started the Seal of Solomon. I believe that's when like practicing started. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so it's interesting because I can't remember if it was just out of like or, you know in, in sort of the real world or whether it was also established in fact that solomon dealt a lot with demons like we talked about how there was like a you know there was like that demon pokedex that was affiliated with solomon yep um i can't remember if he was directly tied to demons in story but um th- this idea that maybe the seal of solomon is like some sort of long con um by demons yeah uh, to take this kind of meta textually i think Sorry, this isn't directly responding to what you're saying about the long con. I will get back to that in a second. But sure. to take the idea of demons being the originators metatextual, I think it's probably fair to say that a lot of supernatural stuff started out as being very heavily intertwined with religion. And only as religion has faded has supernatural things moved away from it, right? And so through that lens, mm. I think it's probably fair to say that a lot of supernatural things do come from demons or may- maybe angels, but obviously depending on your uh, religion, those two are one and the same. <laughs> yeah, well, no, I like this idea that, uh, uh, like, she's basically blaming the demons for creating the current situation. Like, like, she's basically saying a lot of the current world has been shaped as much by the demons as, as the creators. Um, you know, the destroyers are, are creating as much in their own way. And I think that's because, like, I, th- I think when Faisal first started to talk about the abyss as a force for change rather than, like, evil, um, I compared it to the demons and you said that was unfair, but I'm kind of double downing on it here. <laughs> um, like, if we if we sort of think about, like, the beginning of the universe in impact, if it was all chaos, like, even worse than the abyss, and, and meaning started to form, um, I-, I think what would have happened, like, similar to evolution in, in real life, you know, meanings that self-reinforced would have been the ones that propagate because... Mm. they're the ones that propagate um mm. sort of a weird mix of definition um and, and angels might sort of be this manifestation of of the the way these systems reinforce themselves mm. um but the thing is is when you're doing stuff like that you can you can sort of get stuck in like a uh, oh god i'm i'm too, I'm, I'm i'm going too deep into programmer talk here i think i don't i don't but i don't know how else to describe it. like a yeah you get stuck in like a local maximum yeah um and and you know you you start to reinforce things that aren't necessarily ideal and i think demons here can represent like change and evolution like they introduce stress and they they sort of poke at the 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 system 
And that's how you can facilitate change, like whether it's for better or for worse. And Mm. Uh, I mean, obviously, I think Black Black Lamb's Blood was all about how basically, if you try to use them for good, it's probably not going to work. So they're they're not a great tool for it. I'm not I'm not claiming that they should be used for good because it seems like in general they're pretty fucking awful. Um, but I guess what else have we got? I mean, there's the Abyss, which kind of overlaps, I think, conceptually with them. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, both of these things are sort of designed to put pressure on the system to to force change of some kind. Mm. I yeah I. I feel that, but it does seem that demons, at least as we understand them, aren't aren't just about change, they're about change for the worse, specifically. I think the abyss is a is conceptually a bit closer to the idea of change for change's sake. But even that feels mm. still slanted quite negative. Maybe it is just that from our human perspective any change is kind of <laughs> negative, I don't know. Yeah, well I think I think you're right. Like, like I, I do think that the nature of demons is to say destroy or undermine or bring instability. Mm. Um, <clears throat> you know, it's and, and it's in the same way that angels are too far the extreme on the other way. They just want to sort of stagnate things. I reckon. Yeah. So you sort of got this yin and yang thing where if you let one have too much power, it's it's not good. Uh, you, you want a, a balance of these things. I, I think. Um, like I guess. Yeah, I don't know, because I think you're right, probably. Like, I think demons do seem to represent uh, lowering things, um, sort of stripping away the meaning and the and the power. But again, I think maybe that is just your way to, as Granny Rose says, you know, you can use that stuff. And, and that's effectively what Blake is. He's He's been created by this, so is Rose. Mm. Um, you can use those to tip the scales and, and put things off balance. And that makes it easier to, to nudge it in, in the direction that you actually want things to go. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Well, yeah, sort of. So to bring it back, because this has turned into a very long rant. Yeah. Um, uh, like I, I think sort of the the seal of Solomon stuff. I was saying about how, like, I feel like it might be a long con because it feels like on the surface it seems like something that is designed for good. Like you know, you can't lie, and mm. um, you know, it empowers the humans to stop being tortured and and and, and everything. It's, it seems good, but we, we've pretty much seen in this story that actually it's kind of not. Um, yeah. practitioners are not usually making things better. Um, we even had speeches about how the humans are winning now. Um, but from everything we've seen, this isn't necessarily considered to be a good thing. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think that's right, but I think like I'm fully on board with team break the system, but I don't think that means that the system was set up to, to be bad in this way, you know, like it's kind of like. I mean, I feel like I do this all the time, but let's take this to a to a kind of capitalist uh, structure yep. analogy, yep. right? Um, communities banding together to help each other. So, you know, I'm the farmer, I'll produce food, and you can be the blacksmith, you produce tools. And that means I don't have to worry about producing tools, I'll just trade you my food for your tools, right? Like, mm. that's a system that on that micro scale works pretty well, but the reason that it has so many problems is it's been expanded to a huge extent, to, to now be a, a global micro, macro, macro, macro problem, right? Um, and I kind of feel the same way, probably, about the Seal of Solomon, where it's like, it was set up with good intentions, but it's just <laughs> the the implications of those intentions when you multiply it out to, to a big global, you know, playing field and, and millions of billions of people... Um, you just can't consider all of the ramifications of what that system will actually lead to. I think that's uh, where we're at. 
I actually mostly agree with you, except I, I think I'm giving more credit to uh, the demons that may have helped uh, right. instigate this with Solomon, because I, I, I fully agree. I think this is a system that is designed to appear to be good, and, and I think I think this reflects capitalism. Is in the, I, I agree that you know it's not that everything about capitalism is inherently flawed, but it's sort of when you take it to its extreme Blasphemy. and expand it, and, and it becomes everything. Uh, yeah. Then it's terrible, and and I think that that's what's happening here. Right. Uh, Just the and, demons and were able to foresee those consequences where the humans weren't. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe, may, maybe not. Uh, I mean, this is this is maybe a bit tinfoily, but like, I, I think it, like it, it's possible. Mm. Okay, um, I can see that. I don't know, it, it, and it brings me back to like, like how I was thinking about like Johannes and and Faisal, and and I think maybe they sort of a. Again, I think they maybe agree with with Rose and, and Blake a bit on this, and they've just got a very different fix. Um, like I'm wondering if their plan is to just try and stop the swinging of the uh, of the um, spinning top, so to speak, mm. by by force. Like I keep coming back to Johannes's Pied Piper mm. uh, shtick, and I have a feeling maybe their plan is to sort of bring uh, you know Johannes's Wonderland um, out of the domain and, and sort of through force try and try and get things to just calm down to and, to and what sort of... revert the seal of solomon no not not quite but like to to lessen basically lessen the sort of impact of practitioners by making everyone kind of I, like i think he wants to take away free will type thing basically mm. i don't know i'm kind of stealing the plot for like season four of angel i think um <laughs> but like that's sort of that's sort of what i'm picturing is this idea that Faisal and johannes might be trying to create a world where it's like you know if they take away everyone's sort of free will or, or something it, it'll just everything will be calmer and more ordered um yeah i i don't know like you know it's kind of like because i think you know the the domain that johannes has set up is this embodiment of the good old days for others when they could when they could just go nuts and so i think you know that's sort of like he just wants to push things further in that direction mm. yeah Okay. Um. And, and like you know, and he stands as this lone practitioner. I think that's maybe because he thinks practitioners are bad too, and he's he's one of those um people who's like you know I have to I have to work in the dark to serve the light type thing. He mm. he wants to be the last practitioner type thing. Yeah, which feels kind of reminiscent of like the Black Lamb's Blood author, for example, trying to end the concept of diabolism as we know it. Yeah. 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 A little bit. Mm. Okay. Um. But uh, yeah, anyway, I, so I guess, I don't know, I think maybe Granny Rose and Eamon were sort of trying something different, like as we sort of, uh, well, as they said, um, or Led and, and Rose say, they they want to like wait till the spinning top is sort of tipped over and then try and push it in, in the direction they want it to go. And I think maybe what they're hoping is for uh, a system that rewards the greedy less. I mean, I hope that's what they're going for. That's what I would like to mm. see. Um you know, basically, you want a, a situation where you can reward someone who isn't greedy, who's willing to make sacrifices for others, um, who's mm. currently stuck in a tree. Someone's self-sacrificing, <laughs> huh? Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like, I, the, the more I read this this interlude, the more I think that like Blake is actually the intended heir. Interesting. Um, I I don't know. I guess we'll we'll see. But uh, yeah, like I like this idea of of Blake representing a system that's less about uh, self greed. Um. And if we can get him back, maybe we'll find out. <laughs> if we ever see Blake again instead of Spooky Tree. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this actually, uh, it's interesting. We're, we started talking about the this discussion question that we started last week of um, 
how would you change the system? And then yeah, this basically, it comes along to, to spark more of those ideas. Yeah, I basically just rambled for 15 minutes on my answer to the discussion question, I guess. Yes, we'll touch um, on that again later. <laughs> um, yeah, so so we jump forward and uh, we're back in the modern day. Um, and uh, actually very modern day uh, because uh, Alastair is visiting Rose in her psychiatric hospital, I suppose. Um, and he comes up with the craziest plan we've seen yet. Um, <laughs> so it's lucky that he's in the psychiatric hospital, I suppose. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, again, I think this is another wonderful cut. Like, uh, we've already sort of talked about it. Um, but th- this chapter, perhaps more than our episode, has had a fantastic flow. Yeah. Um, just the way it is sort of nudged from scene to scene and really kept the momentum of what it's doing. Yeah. Uh, it covers so much ground, but it never feels like it's jumping. Um, like, I, I think that this, especially on a technical level, might be my favorite interlude yet. But I feel like I say that every interlude now, <laughs> yeah. so... Could yeah. be recency bias. Yeah. Um, or they're just getting better. Yeah. Well, yeah. This one actually felt short. I don't know how short it was, but it felt quite short to me. Um, even though there was so much in it, 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 it was dense, but felt... Sh- I don't know. One of the interesting things about this last bit, though, is it really... And this is touching on what you're saying about the flow. Like, it, it's a little confusing for a moment about whether we're in the modern day. Because we refer to Rose, and it... <laughs> it it feels like it's intentionally contrasting Rose Senior to Rose Junior, right? Um, even to the point that she points, uh, Alistair points out that these clothes are very similar to the ones that the old woman had worn the first time he'd seen her, which is the scene we just saw, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's it's an awesome intentional uh, comparison here, and I wonder what the point of this comparison is. Is it just to show that Rose has gotten to the point where she is as intimidating as Rosinia was um yeah i mean she's got some conquest energy to help her um yeah. I, I actually think this is a little bit why uh, why i'm pushing more and more in the direction of blake being uh the end game because mm. rose is well rose takes after her grandma and, and it's another line that's drawn here and yeah. we basically just had a whole scene that was talking about how rose senior didn't really think she was the one to do this right um, so now we've ended up with an heir like yeah, I mean, we talked about how Rose is, resembles her in a lot of ways, and it's like, maybe that's the point. She wanted Barbatorum to cut up somebody who's not like, like, that's kind of the opposite of her, because that's the person who should do this. I mean, interesting. Yeah, that's an interesting new idea. I don't know. Um, I, I, It doesn't feel, that doesn't feel right to me, because Rose Senior feels arrogant enough that she thinks if she had been set up by her grandmother to be in this situation, she would have been the one to make the change. Oh, yeah, well, I don't think she's made it easy for Blake. That's fucking Yeah, cool. sure, um, sure. But, uh, no, I, I, I don't know. I think, I, I don't know, I give her more credit than that. I think she's, like, she's definitely, you know, she had an arrogant streak in her, but I think she's quite intelligent. And yeah. If she was, she just seemed to be coming at this from a place of, I'm not the one to do this. Yeah. So it then seems weird to create a- A clone of yourself, who, yeah. Who reminds her, who reminds everyone so much of her and expect them to be the one to do it. Yeah. Interesting. I, I I hadn't thought of that, but I like it as a as a little bit of foreshadowing, possibly. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Um, so <laughs> Alistair proposes to Rose, obviously, and mm. uh, it's it makes me very happy that Rose had no idea that this was coming. Like, <laughs> like Rose is lying in this hospital bed, basically expecting somebody to come and fight her or bargain with her, right? 
Um, yeah. And Alistair walks in and proposes to her. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's I mean, it even, great. it even cracks through her, uh, facade of conquest a little bit. Yeah. Um, which is great. Cause then Alistair gets to be smug about it as well. These two were kind of made for each other. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. I'm it's so actually ex- a pretty good pairing, huh? I, I've talked so much about how I can't wait to see how Blake and uh, Alistair play off each other, but I'm just as excited to see how Rose and Alistair go as a couple. Um, it's either going to be like frustratingly fantastic uh, how well they play off each other, or it's just going to be a complete train wreck, and I'm down for either one of those two options. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Anything could happen, right? Um, yeah. Also, she was relieved to hear that the others are all okay, which was nice. Yeah. She's not a complete monster. She does seem to care about them a little bit i guess yeah does alistair like how does he know that like (laughs) (laughs) they went to the fucking abyss what are you talking about alistair you just yeah that's not that's not mostly okay i don't think um i don't know maybe maybe the behames have come and picked them up i mean we haven't seen them since uh you know blake and friends just fucked off just ditched start fires true true true. Uh, the behames might have come and saved them if alistair already had this in motion (sighs) yeah and i guess alistair isn't including blake in the people that he thinks rose cares about if they're okay (laughs) yeah uh i I think blake might have been the mostly in the okay i don't know yeah so i want to touch on whether this was planned right whether this behame and thorburn partnership through marriage was planned but not specifically alistair but you know, and not specifically Rose, I suppose, but something like this. Um, because uh, Granny Rose did explicitly say in her letter, get married, find yourself a man to marry, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. And it feels weird that she would have put that, knowing that the Jacob's Bell Lordship Contest is coming, stuff like that, that means that that, that, that which you would normally think of as a more long-term thing, has to be done basically immediately to have any relevance, right? It has to be done within a month of, of the heir finding that letter, more or less. Mm. Um, so it feels to me that this was planned to some extent by Granny Rose. Yes, well, obviously the transition we get, the cut that I've already brought up is, uh, it goes straight from Alistair sort of being like, hmm, but what nudge could I give? And then it's like, it's just starts, it, we get a cut and it starts talking about Rose. And it's yeah. like, okay. Uh, so, like, I do feel... Like, we're meant to take an implication from that, that the Al- Alistair knew this was coming. Yeah. Um, I, I think I've said before, I'd be a little disappointed if it turned out, like, everything we're seeing here was predicted before Granny Rose died. Like, I I don't know, I feel like it would take away from the journey a bit if, if Granny Rose knew that things were going to end up exactly here. Like, again, I, I, I prefer our idea of she was just laying out dominoes. Yeah. And Alistair's just doing his best to fall as intended, basically. I, I think even if this was 100% planned, I think that only applies up until the point where Blake dies. Because I still feel like Blake was meant to die. The The thing about Blake is that he's fucking unpredictable, right? <laughs> and, and that's what makes him a threat to the Bahames. That's what makes him a threat to Alistair, because Alistair is all about predicting people, right? And so it feels to me that, you know, maybe... Alistair and Rose were meant to get married, but um, Blake is the wild card in this in this um, in this scenario. Blake is the one that is unpredictable enough that he can fuck up any plans that they may have made. Yeah, I mean, like I, again, I I just don't feel I don't I I don't like the idea that they knew that the marriage would be happening under or the engagement would happen under these circumstances. Yeah, sure. These circumstances are crazy. Um, I I think they may have pictured something very different. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
But yeah, no, I mean, that's an interesting turn of fate if Alistair's the one kind of going ahead with the plan and following following the plan, despite the fact that the plan's probably already gone off the rails. Like, I like that as a bit of a reversal of what he was carrying on about at the start of the chapter. Mm. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I love how this chapter ends as well with this this note of, well, things are going to get worse before they get better, um, which I, I think is code for uh, Barbatorum's getting free because I don't know how much worse they could get Mm. um without without like a demon being introduced to the mix um <laughs> but it it just reminded me of in, in the vision we had where rose uh of rose in like 12.5 where we learnt um about the whole barbatorum cutting people up thing it, it made me realize if barbatorum gets out he can just start doing that more and more can't he like are mm. we gonna have fucking vestige civil wars going on all over the place because um it, you know like we talked about this concept of like the yeah the choir of ruin destroying structures and things and the the families in this town are the most ingrained structures you could probably find so mm. uh creating civil wars between the duchamps and the bahames and um i don't know what you could do with johannes but you know like that seems like the the most shit bubba term could get up to and it'd be so funny to see a bunch more blake and rose couples type deal walking around yeah um i mean i think rose even said in that vision that there's nothing to stop barbatorum giving them another another cut up when he's done so i mean god imagine if like rose got cut up again i don't think he's going to cut up blake again there's not much to, to separate yeah, there's nothing left um, <laughs> but like it'd be it'd be morbidly hilarious if if Ro- if we saw rose get split again um i have no idea what that would look like but i'm kind of like mm. curious yeah. like i feel i feel terrible for saying it but i'm kind of curious to see what that would look like yeah um i mean maybe we'll find out <laughs> Uh, but that's not this arc though because that's the end of this chapter and this arc duress um before we before we wrap up on this arc a quick note that we're currently running a discussion question which is um i guess you put it most eloquently by saying what should be the system version (laughs) 1.1 what changes would you make to the system um would you break it and start with something completely new would you tweak it uh let us know yeah, I think what sort of reasonable changes do you think someone could make without spending years setting up a whole demon conspiracy, time chronomancer conspiracy, whatever the fuck yeah. Rose Senior and Eamon have done thing? Yeah. Um, but let's talk about duress. Um, the definition yeah. of duress, Elliot, uh, I, I think you hear it most in the phrase under duress, as in you are doing something under duress, you're forced to do something under duress, which means something that you do because you are forced to do it either by threats or by you know violence or something else yeah yeah basically um and i I feel like there was a lot of that because there were a lot of people basically under constant pressure this arc um i mean everything that happened in the house was basically under duress like operation drain drop uh was not something that they did because they felt like it you know the person who was the most under duress blake probably uh in my opinion this arc ava (laughs) Ava is the person yes, who was the most yes. explicitly under duress this arc, which I like because that was by the hands of our, you know, goodies. You're right. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's technically more blackmail or extortion or something. But um, oh, no, you're, you know, every, well, but I think uh, no, you're right. blackmailing or extorting someone means that everything they did was under duress. Yeah, that's so, that's just another yeah. type of coercion, right? Um, yeah, exactly. So yeah, I mean, I I, I think Blake was. Uh, kind of, like, I, I don't think he's realised it, but I, I'd say that the Abyss has kind of, uh, everything he's done here has kind of been under duress from the Abyss. Yeah. Um, 
because I don't think I don't think much of what we've seen this arc has been Blakey, or at least in the second half. Yeah, I. But the thing about Blake is that he kind of I don't know. Maybe this is a bit unfair, but he kind of feels like he puts himself under duress to act a certain way, right? Like he he gets into his head like I have to do this thing. I have to sacrifice myself in this way, in this way, in this way, or else this thing's gonna happen. That thing's gonna happen. And some of that is true, I think. But some of that is him, you know, forcing himself to have to sacrifice himself in order to help his friends do whatever he's trying to do um uh no that that's that's kind of fair there was not as much resistance as i would have liked uh in some of this yeah, yeah. um i think uh other under duress folks uh alistair uh put rose under duress by uh threatening <laughs> her, f- her friends and family in order to coerce a uh a, a positive response to his proposal <laughs> <laughs> that's the message of this arc is send a clockwork goblin after your girlfriend's family and she'll have to say yes well no not even your girlfriend oh uh, yeah just that just, that girl that you've met <laughs> once or twice <laughs> and that you don't even like yeah um yeah and so then the other meaning of duress is uh sort of to do with being forcibly restrained or imprisoned it's like yep. a, it's an archaic use of the term um uh, according to the googles um but I mean, you know, obviously I think this, this sort of applies to the situation that was this arc because they were locked in the house, then they were locked in the upper floors, then they were locked in just the library, yep. uh, then they got locked in the abyss, and, and now Blake is locked in a shit boogeyman body. Yeah. So, uh, you know, just kept getting more and more restrained and imprisoned in my mind. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then finally becomes free. Yay. <laughs> when did i miss did i miss a chapter no he's now free and happy in his <laughs> other form and he's going to go around being free to do whatever the fuck he wants which is mostly murder bangs <laughs> well i don't think he's free to do that based well, on true, yeah, not anymore. Ended, ended but yeah 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 um, um so let's talk about the themes of this arc uh i think one that we touched on the most about this arc was the concept of humanity um and blake struggles to retain his humanity that he ultimately did not do yeah, and, and again, we've talked about this a lot in 10 and 11 as well. Basically, since he's gotten out of the, the drains, this has been something he's been tackling. And you're right, we sort of saw him finally lose this struggle Yeah. Uh, right at the end here. So I can't wait to see where we go with this next arc, hopefully upwards, because I don't feel <laughs> like there's any any further down to go. Yeah. Um, And yeah, I, I mean, I, well, something that sort of jumped out to me as a bit of a theme here was this idea of like, what it, what does good and bad mean? in in this world um like blake has sort of had this descent where he's he's lost his ability to discern what's good in my opinion or you know he's at least very much changed it yeah um and and then obviously we sort of met the thorburns a lot more this arc and have sort of understood the you know however small it is good side to their relationships to each other yeah um, and and their dynamics and then obviously you know we've got alistair and his whole smug bullshit chosen one uh, stuff where you know he thinks he's doing good for everyone, but I think we could all pretty much assume he's not. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I I feel like we also have kind of explicitly now set up, well, set up the trio uh, as you refer to them, the 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 Trey Horny others, um, <laughs> Evan, Blake, and and Green Eyes, um, and and specifically Blake as kind of caught in the middle between good and bad as kind of represented mostly good represented by evan feels fair but bad represented by green eyes doesn't quite feel fair but maybe just like 
uh, Green Eyes as the next step down Blake's slide into being a full-on monster. Um, I think it's fair to say she represents the appeal of the abyss. Yeah. Um, like, she's very, she's very abyssy. Um, yeah, I think she's moment. as close to being a, a bad character as we could have for her to still be on Team Blake. <laughs> like, for Blake to still yeah. be comfortable with her around. She's uh, like a functioning abyss yeah. person, basically. Like, yeah. she represents giving in and, and finding a balance there, maybe. Yeah. Um, so I quite like that as a kind of twist on the, you know, the angel and the devil on his shoulder kind of trope. Yeah, yeah. Um, the the other thing that I kind of alluded to before that I, I, I'm kind of interested by about this arc is it really, like the idea of it changing the structures that we kind of had established in the story so far. Um, you know, obviously the house is now completely out of play. <laughs> mm. um, so that's a literal structure that has been lost. Um, but the the this the core kind of tenets of this chapter have been uh, of this of this story have been Blake's connection to his cabal to you know Alexis and Ty and Tiff and that has been completely warped uh, by this chapter. Yep. Um, Rose's connection to Blake has been completely lost. I would say. Uh, the, even yeah. you know the Bahames have been the primary antagonists for most of this story, and this chapter specifically the last these two chapters i would say um have completely twisted that um the only remaining structure that we had from before is blake green eyes evan as the kind of power trio right yeah so you've just set me off on this weird thought tangent because like everything you're sort of saying reminds me of like how i might describe um i don't know maybe the third choir of demons and what they would do to the story well exactly now now i'm trying to piece together if there's like this thing where like you know the last seven arcs are gonna each represent one of the choirs or something. I'll, I'll come back with this. I'll, I'll, I'll look into it and see if there's but, anything I can, you know, I, uh, maybe like, <laughs> I'm not sticky tape say, together there. Yeah, I'm not going to say that doesn't <laughs> exist. But the thing I would take from that is Barbatorum is Blake's dad, and this is the the arc where Blake has the most embraced his other side, which comes from <laughs> Barbatorum, right? Yeah, like, yeah. The 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 connection there is that he has either intentionally or unintentionally ruined his structures ruined the structures in his life. And and that is what happens when he leans to his other side. He leans more into the side that comes from the third choir of demons, and therefore this is what happens. Like, it just all gets warped. It all gets lost. Mm-hmm. And soon Barbatorum's going to come down to give him a big high five for yep. it. Yeah, he's going to be like, good work, my son. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So that that's my read on, on, on Duress, I would say. Yeah, I like it. Um, that brings us to the end of this arc, this chapter, and this episode. So thanks for joining us. If you want to leave your thoughts on this arc, this chapter, or this episode, or even this discussion question, uh, again, how would you uh, patch the system 1.1, the best place to do that is in our discussion threads, which you can find linked in the uh, description of this very here episode here. Yeah, and if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher and you haven't left a review, mm-hmm. why not why not do that? That that really helps us out. It it uh, you know, feeds the algorithm and and then the algorithm likes us more and and propagates us um in ways we don't quite understand. Uh and if you're not listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, if you have an account, you could just head over there and review us anyway. We won't mind. Yeah, I I won't tell if you don't. Um 
If you liked all the terrible puns in this episode, then the place for you to go is our Twitter, which is at MediaMDPodcast, <laughs> because each time we post a new episode, we have a tradition of writing a stupid pun about something in the, in the chapter that we're discussing. Uh, sometimes they're good, sometimes they're bad, but they're always stupid. So if you want that, check out <laughs> at MediaMDPodcast. Yes. Uh, and of course, doofmedia.com is the place where you can find out not just more about Deep Impact, but all the other shows on the Doof Media Network. Uh, there's MediaMD. Uh, which is another show that I think is all right. Yeah, uh, it actually the the new Media MD episode just came out yesterday on Halloween. Um, we did a very spooky thing where instead of talking about one movie, we talked about two movies. Uh, we talked about the two Jordan Peele uh, horror films. So if you're interested in hearing our thoughts on that, uh, check out Media MD over on DoofMedia.com. Yes, uh, and if you enjoy that episode, if you enjoyed this episode, if you enjoy any Doof episodes patreon.com forward slash doof media you can go there and you can you can prove it um and you know obviously you get a bunch of rewards for it you're not just doing it for free so uh go check it out and, and see what you can get yep uh if you want to be rewarded with more great stories just like this here packed here then you should head on over to patreon.com forward slash wildbow where you can support wildbow's uh authoring directly yeah uh and so apart from that we'll see everyone on monday the 4th of november mm. for execution. 13.1. Not at all a foreboding archetype. Yeah. Because <laughs> they're going exec- no, to execute the plan and fix everything. Uh, I'm that's sure what's that's about what it to is. Happen. I'm sure that's it. Yeah. <laughs> See ya. Bye.